The following podcast is a work of fiction. All characters are the creation of Peter Williams. Any resemblance to someone living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you. A devastating wound is opened, and blood pours out like rain. A heart beats no more, and rune and the cult come to battle, ready for the inevitable end of all things, ready for the rise of Igyatsu. Confident that our heroes, Detective Stevens and Jonah Hollander, are too late. So if that's the case, why even bother with this Tentacle Tuesday, hmm? Ah, because there's so much more to discuss. So much more to learn. And, of course, because it's so much fun. <laughs> Please remember that this podcast does contain images of graphic violence, child endangerment, and naughty, salty language. Mm. Now, my children... Grab your tentacles as we delve into the darkness and the slithering arms of the Yatsu with Chapter 19, Confrontation. Detective Warren Stevens and Jonah Hollander stepped through the gateway and onto the grounds of the Temple of INA. A low fog clung to the ground and the brush, as if an ethereal blanket of gray snow had been laid before them. The air hung heavy, containing almost a static charge. A low chanting could be heard as they crept towards the tentacle-shaped archways. Jonah put his fingers to his lips. I don't like the looks of this, he whispered. What do you suggest? Warren asked. He was growing frustrated at the slow pace they were taking. He knew Hicks' life was in imminent danger. Well, ten to one they've set up a barrier, Jonah pointed at the tentacle. And the moment we or anyone crosses it, they'll be alerted. We really don't have the time to be worried about that, Warren began to plead. I know, Jonah said, understanding the dilemma. So with that, he began to emanate a blue aura. Warren had seen it once before, ten years ago, when he fought the demon Malek and sealed him. That meant only one thing. Jonah was getting serious. He signaled Warren. Stay close to me. I should be able to will us past whatever rune is set up. Warren took a deep breath as he felt the crackle of blue energy move up and around him as if it was his own. Ready? Warren nodded, and the two rushed towards the archway. They felt the heavy pressure lean on them as they pushed inward. A reddish glow mixing and swirling with his own blue energy. Jonah pressed into it, but it was clear he wasn't breaking through. Warren, Jonah called out. Take the sword and slash it through the air. The detective pulled it off his back. A line of flames flickered off the blade as he cut into the field of energy. It exploded, sounding like a wall of glass shattering as it crumbled into nothing. The flames then spread across the ground and up the sides of the arches. The stone began to fracture. We better move. Jonah hollered as chunks of stone began to fall around them. Crap, Warren said as a chunk of cephalopod-shaped rock landed directly in front of him. Diving over it and rolling to his right, trying desperately to maintain possession of the sword. 
Are you okay? Yeah. You? Heads up! Three dozen men in brown robes came pouring out from the building like ants. This time, they weren't carrying bamboo stairs, but long, curved, cruel-looking blades, all with a singular eye at the base of the hilt. Warren, still in a crouching position, put the blade down next to him and pulled out his revolver. He fired off a couple of rounds at the oncoming swarm of men in brown. He hit several, but they only reared back for a moment before moving forward again. I was afraid of that, he muttered to himself. They seemed to be frothing at the mouth with madness. Jonah yelled at him in disbelief. Don't put down that sword. Your gun is useless here. He hollered back, placing his hand on the hilt. You could have told me that before, you know. As he went to lift it, a large man stomped down on the blade with all his weight. Warren just gave him a courteous sneer, saying, Bad idea. With his hand on the hilt, the sword set off a fiery blaze, incinerating the man where he stood. Then a booming voice rang out from somewhere beyond the temple walls. Ignore the detective and his cohort. I will take care of them. Go, obtain the girl. A good 20, maybe 25, scurried into the woods. As Jonah had feared, they would attempt to get Alex Kuchma back. Rune emerged from the shadows and with a shrug of his shoulders, dropped his heavy robes onto the floor. Another dozen cultists standing directly behind him. With a Cheshire cat-like smile, he stared at the detective. I see you're a little late for the party. <laughs> he scowled as he lifted his staff above his head. You son of a bitch, Stevens replied. Ignore him. He's trying to goad you into battle. I've got him. Now go, Jonah hollered as he released a pulse of energy into Rune and the cultist behind him. You don't have to tell me twice, Stevens replied, ducking past Rune and plowing over some of the cultists as he headed into the dark hallways of the temple. Rune just smiled at the smoke, swirling off his skin. Refreshing! I hope you have more than that if you plan on standing up to me, boy. Jonah smiled, his blue energy rising and becoming white hot. I was just clearing him a path, Rune. The things I know about Rune come way before your mistress and way before her mother, Silen. The last time I clashed with her... I was only starting my journey. Like Rune, he dropped his cloak, making it easier to obtain the weaponry he held on this plane of existence and the one beyond. Like a skilled magician, he ran his hand through the air, pulling forth a dozen small silver crosses, each of them with a sharpened bottom. You can't be serious, Rune exclaimed. Those will not harm me. Oh, I am serious. He tossed them, and as he did so, each of them landed around Rune in a circle. Rune let out a bolt of lightning, but instead of hitting Jonah, it whirled around, shooting directly into the air. My master, Jonah said, taught me how to fight the very demons of the waste. Those? Those will deflect your power and restrict your movements. The nine remaining cultists encircled him, sputtering, calling forth dark magic of their own. Again, like Rune, they shot black lightning at the mystic, who stood there absorbing the blow before extending out his left hand with a smile. The lightning they shot at him came crashing down inside the circle he created with the silver crosses, blasting Rune with their attack. Rune shrugged off the blow with a smile and said, The demons of the waste, you say? 
Is that so? Then one of those I shall call up to rip the flesh off your bones. Umbrachna, Toklekna, Ilak, Ilak, Borosh! The ground beneath him began to crack, displacing the crosses used for the trap. Rune, now free, stepped back, allowing a hulking mass to rise from the flaming earth below him. Borash looked like a ten-foot-tall man who had been turned inside out. Muscles pulsing where flesh should be, veins popping, seething in molten earth. Two yellow eyes set themselves on Jonah as it dislodged its mouth, drooling an acidic white phlegm. Jonah took a deep breath and unwrapped the bandages on his left arm that ran from his elbow to his palm. Do you know why I was chosen to be Uriel's apprentice rune? Do you know why the Cadric Order tried to eliminate me as a child? He looked at his own hand. Emblazoned in its center sat a silver cross. It almost looked molten, but yet it did not burn his flesh. It just glowed. The look on Rune's face went from one of confidence to one of horror. There had been stories. Stories of a new creation. A race that was human, but acted in a different capacity. The Demone Comante, or Demon Eaters. They acted like a Venus flytrap, looking as an easy, delicious meal until... Snap! Jonah's whole body ignited in a white light that emanated from the cross in his palm. He needed no words of power, no special skill. He was the weapon. Barash drooled, looking over at Jonah, perceiving him as a helpless, hopeless human, jumped right at Jonah without a moment of hesitation. This prey would be a delicious meal. Rune hollered at the summoned creature in despair. Don't, you fool! It's a trap! But before he could stop the beast, it was caught up in the strange light. It let out a strange, gurgled sound as the light pulled it nearer to Jonah. Jonah's physique changed in a strange mannerism that made him look more demonic in some ways than the beast moving towards him. It burns! It burns! Please stop! But Jonah did not drop his hand but gave Rune a nasty, dirty look like, You're next. Rune dropped his staff, shaking. The other cultists were catching fire just from the glow around him. Rune, now in a full panic, was looking for any way he could escape. You're not going anywhere, Rune, he said, as something long, almost sickly, shot out of his left hand and wrapped itself around Rune's torso. I'm not a demon! I'm human! I was used! You can't! You can't! All his bravado, all his confidence, eliminated in a whimpering voice as he watched the remains of Barash crumple into the glowing man's hand. What's the matter, Rune? Jonah said with a smile. Didn't you want to take me on? Wasn't it going to be so easy? Cassandra is a great deceiver and has cost many their lives, their souls. You could have chosen to walk away from this, but instead you embraced it, taking joy in killing twelve innocent children, stripping them of their humanity to serve that beast. And now, you want me to be merciful? Fire erupted around Rune's feet, and strange vine-like things grabbed onto him, holding him in place. But I will be merciful, Rune. I won't eat you. Instead, I will expel you into the very waste you're so very fond of. 
Rune struggled, screaming, panicking as he tugged at the things holding onto him. The earth began to fall away, swirling into a black void that rose up like waves. Rune could hear laughter, screams for help as he sunk in. Jonah's form began to revert to a more human state. He watched Rune as he was pulled into the world of the waste. Maybe there you'll learn the lesson that Mr. Alistair did. But that's not for me to decide. Rune fell away into the darkness. Jonah picked up the silver daggers and readorned his cloak. He could sense her, deep within the dwelling. He could only pray that the detective would be successful in his endeavors. Warren heard the explosion behind him but didn't look back. He had to keep himself focused. As he descended, he couldn't help but feel the shadows moving, watching him, looking for an opportunity to strike. But they were very wary of the blade he carried. Its strange glow gave him comfort, but his lack of knowledge on how to use such an archaic weapon concerned him. He could still hear Jonah in his head telling him not to use the blade unless he had to. He wondered what strange powers it possessed, and if it was right for him to be using it. He was so angry right now. Could he really hold a weapon meant for an angel? He frowned at the thought. Right now, he felt closer to those creatures that watched him. Enough, he said to himself. I can't allow myself to, how did Rich put it earlier? Have a pity party? As his mind began to clear, he could hear whispers permeate the air. You failed. She's dead. Ikyatsu is nigh. Followed by a sickly laughter that would turn the bravest souls cold. You see? It laughed. You've lost. <laughs> this is my domain. Mine. Give up and Die, detective. In so many ways, it reminded him of Rogers, the way he talked before he escaped, before he... Anger welled up inside him. You better pray she's alive! Too late. <laughs> Too late. You've lost. You've lost. Don't you hear it? Tick-tock, tick-tock, like a clock slowly stopping. The heart is just about to stop. No, he screamed. <laughs> Suddenly, to his right, a column of white light took shape. This way, it called to him. Hurry. Its presence made him feel lighter, able to move again, yet a deepening sorrow was growing in his heart. It guided him out of the twisted passageways of the temple into a large courtyard. As his eyes readjusted, he could make out a stone altar rising from the middle and... No. A body lay limp across it, blood trickling down the side of her chest to the ground below. It was clear from the bluing of her skin. She had been dead for several minutes. Detective! The column of light urged him pointing to a shadowy figure slipping into the doorway behind him. Hurry, you must stop the coming of Ikyatsu. The anger from before became a burning fire within him as tears poured down his face. He picked up the tattered remains of Hick's dress and did his best to cover her body. He passed his hand over her eyes, still staring up into the currents of space. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, he said. 
The pillar of light moved next to him and slowly began to take shape. Hicks took her hand and ran it over his tear-stained cheek. Warren, it's okay. I'm okay. This, she pointed to her body, this is not the end. Hicks, he managed to say, amazed by her beauty. She smiled and moved in, pressing her lips to his. I've always wanted to do that, she said. Now, take that sword and stab it into the well. It will disintegrate my heart and vaporize the water in it. It will close the passage between the world we live in and... But you're worried about that girl, Alex Kuchma, aren't you? Yes, Jonah says she's... She nodded. She is. But you need to trust me. Okay, he said. Taking a deep breath, he continued to follow the manifestation of Hicks into the dark doorway behind the altar. If it hadn't been for the light of Hicks and the flicker of flames from the sword, he would have been hopelessly lost. Things squirmed and slithered in and out of the stone walls around him and across his path. As he walked, something hissed in his ear and he nearly backed into the opposing wall and hands reached out hungrily towards him. The voices continued mocking him. Too late. He's coming. It gets his coming. This world shall die. <laughs> the smell of dried blood and smoke met his nostrils, making him choke and nearly vomit. The smoke clung to the light coming from several oddly hung torches. A ghoulish-looking woman stained in blood, Hicks's blood, stood at the edge of the well, holding a dripping heart in her hand, her black eyes looking back at him with a nasty smile as she dropped the heart into the well. Oh, detective, you're too late on all accounts. Your friend is dead. Her heart now sinks into the depths of the well like a lure. Soon, the temple trembled. Never mind. It seems that Yatsu has found it already. The detective dropped the blade to his side, seemingly in defeat. Cassandra laughed, sensing victory. Small specks of light began to swirl between the two as Hicks once more took form in a dazzling white dress. She looked at him, and he remembered what he needed to do. Without another word, without another thought, the detective locked the blade to his side like a lance and charged the Lady Cassandra. Cassandra, forgetting the detective, looked aghast at the manifestation of Hicks and tossed one of the skulls filled with fluids from the well towards her. It stopped in mid-air and scattered across the floor. Bah! You have no power over! But as she spoke those words, the sparkling woman exploded as the detective passed through her. His eyes searing in pain, searing in anger as he slammed his entire body into the decrepit creature and plunged the sword deep inside her exposed flesh. She laughed as he pushed her backwards towards the well. You can't kill me with that thing! I am eternal! It was then she realized his true intentions. What are your intentions, detective? I know the High Mother is a saucy woman of culture, but should you embrace her so? <laughs> 
and she seems so determined to drag her feet. And with Hicks's heart plummeting deeper and deeper into the depths, we all know that the trembling walls aren't trembling from excitement, if you will. <laughs> and meanwhile, the cultists advance upon the cottage, determined to regain Alex Kutchmob. How will Mr. Alistair and Detective Donaldson handle this incursion? Find out next week in Chapter 20, The Battle at Sims Divide. Ha, ha, ha.